Hello and welcome to the American Theatre Wing's Downstage Center. I'm Katie Finnerin, currently starring as Miss Hannigan in Annie, and I'm so happy to be here with my wonderful co-star, Daddy Warbucks, a.k.a. the amazing Anthony Warlow. Anthony, I was with my son this morning on my computer, My actually both my sons. I have a six-month-old and an almost two-year-old who so you, you know. you have a very large computer. Very large computer. <laughs> and we were sort of reviewing all of our favorite YouTube sensations of Anthony Warlow. And (laughs) my son kept saying, um, do you know the song Alive? Yeah. Of course. From Jekyll and Hyde. Made famous from Jekyll and Hyde. My son kept going, again, again, again. We listened to it five times before I had to take him for a bath. But he loved it. Isn't that funny? Loves that. And the song is quite mad. Well, it is. And and it actually, it's very similar to another that... Uh, Frank Waldhorn wrote for um, the Scarlet Pimpernel, which is called Into the Fire, and it has that that burning rhythm, a bump, 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 which is probably what he, um, you know, jumped at, responded mm. to. Yes, I think it helped him get out his frustrations of yes. not being able to talk. But. Was he hitting his head on the table at the time? <laughs> because I certainly was. <laughs> now when he's mad with me, he's, when he's angry, he's just going to say, "Mommy, put that song on, <laughs> the Anthony Warlow song." Oh. So listen, how have you been enjoying living? In the United States, living in New York City. Well, look, I, I have. I, I, I will tell you. When I first arrived here, which was uh, the fifth of August last year, I, I arrived. I was obviously jet lagged to a point, and I felt very homesick for about three hours. And then I left the apartment and went into Times Square, and was greeted by three people who were from Melbourne, my hometown now, and uh, and two people off the plane. <laughs> Off the aeroplane, who said, "Oh, we were sitting behind you, and welcome to New York. We're here for two weeks." And I said, "I'm here for a year and a bit." So they were just fans following yeah, they you. Were, they were, they were, and and I felt very comfortable after that, and and uh, really, you know, sort of just assimilated very quickly. Really did, and I remember the day when I was the 13th of August. We started rehearsal. I think so, yeah. And uh, coming into that that Duke uh, rehearsal space mm-hmm. and tapping you on the shoulder, and it was it was all hugs and kisses from there, and yeah. and it's been that way. It's, you know, I, I think you'll agree that the company, I mean, you've worked with some of the people in the company, have you? No, I never had any of, any of the cast. I had never No? Oh, with. I thought no. you may have known But them. I knew them all. Actually, actually, that's not true. Jaylene and I did a TV show together. Right, right, TVC. Television. You've done telly, you've done film. What's that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And well, you, you haven't really. No, you tell me. For, you, no, no, well, okay, I'll okay, tell you so first. Go ahead. <laughs> you, you've done, you haven't done much film and television, no, right? No, I haven't. No, the only television I've done is, has been, you know, variety shows and, and But you did Pirates of so Penzance, you did Oh, yeah, they, they, Patience, were, they were filmed for Filmed for, for they were staged. Yeah. It yeah. was the original stage production that was filmed. That's it, Okay, yeah. okay. And so I've, I've been part of a number of those kind of things and mainly, well, really all to do with the opera company that uh, was the beginning of my... Really, my theatrical life, professional where, theatrical life. Where did you uh, start your first production of Annie? You did two productions of Annie in yeah. Australia. Yeah, the first one was in, in the year 2000, and that was uh, an interesting story because I had been, I suppose the word would be poached, uh, <laughs> by a, a newly formed management group that were very keen on having only one or two high-profile uh, celebrities on their books. And... Um, one of them was Domingo. So <laughs> <laughs> nice so I was, company. I was in company. And um, I was asked if I would would be interested in, in joining them. And I I thought, well, you know, I've, I've never really had a management before. I had um, I had agents. Uh, and so I, I said yes and joined them uh, along. And they 
basically in, in a nice way didn't turn out to be a management more more so just a vehicle for what I wanted to do because mm. we literally would sit down and they say what do you want to do mm. and I would say I want to do a production of Man of La Mancha which we ended up doing but they didn't trust that and they came to me on the day that I was going to talk about it with this idea of doing a production of Annie there was going to be a new production uh, but it was going to be directed by Martin Shannon. So I was coerced into agreeing to do that with the um, proviso that we would, after that, we would do Man of La Mancha, which we ended up doing. Right. So it was, that was the year 2000. And, and Martin came to Australia and he directed us uh, in his version of the show, um, which was great fun. I mean, I had a, I, I, they said to me, you're going to have a great time doing this. And, and I thought, no, oh, it's, it's a strange kind of role because I, after reading the script, I thought the script is very um, skeletal and it, how, how do you flesh something out, that particularly when you think about the... Skeletal. I'm going to start using that in my, word, in my daily mm. vocabulary. Um, when you think about the fact that these, you know, Harold Gray wrote, drew, drew these characters with no, no eyes. So right. therefore, we, Martin said, what we have to do as actors is create the soul for these people. Right. And that was the beginning of, of me finding a lot of stuff for, for Oliver. The name itself, Oliver, being you know, Oliver Twist, being yeah. you know, an, an orphan and what have you. So, um, Tell me the difference between Mark Charnin and James Lapine. A great, there's a great difference. I right. mean, you know, Two very different productions. Very different I, productions. I but strangely enough, and, and this is me being very honest and candid about this, when you look at the original um, premise of Oliver Warbucks entering his mansion, it's all bravado, it's all blustery, it's all cantankerous kind of characterization. And it's it's written like that. He's an, he seems to be an angry man. Uh, and all of a sudden, within perhaps four minutes of play on stage, he's fallen in love with this kid that he didn't want in his, in his house to start with. So you have to find a way of, of projecting that. And then, then you have this moment where in Act 2, he's it's it's a radio drama basically and it's very serious and the stakes are very high and and so to find that to find the arc to be able to to pinpoint moments where it, not so much for you but for an audience to understand the storytelling i found actually quite difficult in that original um playing of the role mm. the difference with Mar with uh, between martin and of course james's production here is that as we well know james goes for the truth in every moment mm. And doesn't like schmacting and doesn't, doesn't <laughs> really want... James Pine does not like, like schmacting. No. Not that Anthony and I are ever, ever Oh, no, 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 no. Have ever schmacked it in our no. entire careers, <laughs> ever. But he, he's, he actually, for me, that, that was a strange thing, even though I was very nervous in those early days of rehearsal because I felt like I understand that, you know, it was a strip down and a re rebuilding of this character. Mm -hmm. But I was worried about whether the charm and the, the warmth was actually going to come out of this character. And strangely enough, it's actually made the journey very even for me. I, I understand now where he goes right. because there is a deep-seated reality in the beginning of, of the show for him. And, uh, and so I have, I really do have, have uh, James to thank for that. Right. Uh, it, it, so therefore, it's, it's, it's chalk and cheese. <laughs> it's chalk and cheese. It really is. Chalk and cheese, darling. <laughs> now you... Yes, darling. Enough about me. <laughs> what do you think of me? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I think you're gorgeous. I know. Now you. So, so I. I don't know much about your beginnings. Did you do? Did you go to? You know. 
a university? And performing arts junior high school, performing arts high school. These were schools that were um, extraordinary. One is the New World School of the Arts in uh, Miami, Florida. Right. And I was there from 7.30 in the morning to like 8.30 at night doing productions, having different classes. We had um, guest teachers come in. Uta Hagen oh, yes, yes, came in to teach for yeah. a couple of days when I was in just high school. And then I went to Carnegie Mellon for a year, but it was so expensive. What's, what's Carnegie, Carnegie Mellon? Carnegie Mellon is a, a university in Pittsburgh. I thought it was um, a dessert at, at <laughs> Joe Allen's. <laughs> the Carnegie Mellon is delicious. Would you like the, the Carnegie? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it was a great education that I had. Mm. And Did you go straight from school? Well, college was so expensive that I decided that in, in, at Carnegie Mellon, we were studying Uta Hagen's book. Mm-hmm. And I had had a two-day workshop with her when I was in, you know, 17, 16 years old in high right. school. And I thought to myself, wow, if I could just go and study actually with Uta Hagen and live in New York City, mm-hmm. that's what I want to do. Right. So my dad called one day and said, look, you, you know, you're going to have to get a job. You're going to have to, you're going to have to figure this out financially because it's so expensive. And, and so um, I said, I'm going to move to New York City and I'm going to study with Uta Hagen. And I got in. And I studied with her uh, for about, I don't know, 14 years until she died. Was it a hard audition? Oh, it was, the sc- it was truly the scariest. It was Berthold Brecht, um, the Jewish wife. It was a Oi. monologue. It has to, hey, hey. It has to be, it has to, you have to audition. If you were auditioning for Ms. Hagen, you had to audition with a pure monologue. Right. So there's lots of Chekhovian monologues that are pure, mm-hmm. meaning you are actually talking to yourself. You're not talking to an imaginary, imaginary person who just happens to not be on stage with you. Right. right. Um, you are purely talking to yourself. So um, I found this... Uh, my friend Abby Flint found this monologue for me, and, and uh, she was a great reader. She read everything, and she was like, oh, my gosh, Brecht has this great. So I learned it, and I got in, and I studied with her and studied with her until she died. Wow. She was extraordinary. Uh, and extraordinary. So she was a great, great influence and mentor in, in your life. My biggest, yeah. yeah I, I would say. Do you, do you um, auditioning is a thing that sort of has eluded me. You, you know, don't that, have to audition. You went to audition once when you were 18. I, well, and that's, then you, you, you know, I did. offered Everything since. Well, it, it's a strange thing, and maybe because, you know, Australia is a, a small pond uh, when it comes to this, the type of work that I mm-hmm. aspired to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really wanted to be an opera singer uh, originally, and, and that's where my sort of uh, my fach was. I'm going to use that one too. Yes, I know. <laughs> Skeletal fach. Skeletal fach. And so I, I was very much into the, the histrionics and cla- of classical singing and um, and had a voice that was quite mature for its for my age mm-hmm. um, but getting into an opera situation was obviously something that I knew you know un- until I was about 35 I wouldn't be hitting my straps mm-hmm. uh, I was fortunate to, to audition for the Australian opera as it was called then way back in 1980 1980 just literally left school and went into this audition I worked for my dad who was a photographer for a while but but um, going into that, playing a, a non-singing role in a Benjamin Britten opera, which is Midsummer Night's Dream, I played Puck, uh, that earned me stripes with the company because at that point, Richard Bonning, who is a very famous uh, conductor of ballets and, and was, the, uh, of course, the husband of Joan Sutherland, who is an uh, amazing Australian soprano. She was our Nellie Melba. Mm. Uh, he heard me sing. And he was quite amazed at, at the depth of my sound then. And I was darker than I am now, funnily enough. 
So I kind of went into that world and stayed there for six years, just and learning trial by fire, learning the ropes by covering so many roles. It wasn't funny. Um, and then really the only audition that I did was something which was on the sly, and it was a production that was coming to Australia of Guys and Dolls. It was the National Theatre of, of uh, London production. Richard Eyre was directing. And I went in a, a cattle call for the, the, the role of Sky and was offered it. So I had to go back to the company and tell them because I'd had six roles that I was about to do in Australia. And I, um, I went back and I said, look, I've been offered this role and if you tell me that I can't do it and I have to stay and do Deflated Mouse and Papageno or what have you, I'm happy to do that. The greatest thing that the artistic director of the company said to me was, go away, see if, and in inverted commas, see if you can sleep with these people, meaning music theatre or musicals as they were known then, uh, and then come, please come back to us. So I did. I went and did nine months of, of that show in Australia around the country and then came back to the opera to do uh, uh, Mouse. Did you do Eisenstein? I did. Wow. Uh, and I've played it three times now, and one of them is on DVD. I <laughs> didn't know that. Yeah. And strangely enough, uh, it, the, the, the process of going away and learning to be a personality in front of an audience eight times a week, because in the opera world, the only time you got to perform was in a, for instance, I did Papageno, and, uh, and we did six performances, and that was it. Right. So by the time you have your four-week rehearsal period, you find the show, you, you perform it, and then it's over. Right. And that's really tough to get into the next thing, which might be Seanard in La Boheme, for instance. But it's a repertory company, and that's the way you work. So I had the opportunity, of course, to go and work eight times a week and find what... And Sky and Sarah, I think you'll agree, are the hardest roles in music theatre because they, they're thankless. So you have all these comic book characters buzzing around you, and you, you've got to hold the show together. That's why, they re that's why those comic book characters work, though. So absolutely, absolutely. So I kind of came back with a, a newfound... Um, strength mm. and and would go back and then the next thing was of course Les Miserables which I stayed for nearly nearly three years and right. uh, and kept going back to the opera company so I had my my th uh, classical roots were very strong and, and kept going back to them which is why the voice developed so well but you so, never have to audition is what you're saying well I didn't I, and after that of course roles came I, I, look I did audition for Les Miserables because everybody did and I did I did audition for Phantom of the Opera did you? yeah wow. I did and that's another story which we don't have time for, now, <laughs> but it, it's a long one. But, yeah, so I'm curious to know that in, in this New York world mm. that it seems to be that everybody, regardless of status, mm. it's, it's, a, it's a constant thing of going out and, and renewing yourself. It's almost like a restripping of yourself. It is. You know, and, and in a sense, I kind of love auditioning because when you hire me, I want you to know what you're getting. Mm -hmm. I want you to, I mean, I have a lovely reputation now and you could call your friend and say, what was she like? You know, was she nutty? Was she great? Yes, was she, yes. You could ask plenty of people yeah. that have worked with Katie Finner and how Katie Finner is, you know, is when you're working with her. Mm. Um, but I really like for someone to be sure when they've hired me. That they feel, because there's nothing like when you're when you're doing a play or you're doing a musical, having that confidence behind the table, you know, the, the people that sit behind the table and direct mm, you, yeah. and having them go, yeah, yeah, you got it, you did have you your process. Did you feel that with James? I did. You know, I knew that they looked at a lot of people for this role. Um, I know that a lot of people wanted this role, mm -hmm. and I think you know my agent Gary Gersh uh, really pushed for me to be seen for this. I mm -hmm. think for a long time they were not interested. 
because I am so such a different choice for Hannigan. Um, but I went in when I was seven and a half months pregnant, and I said, <laughs> "Let me, let me meet them, let me sing for them." Mm-hmm. And I performed little girls, and I read the scenes, and and I was happy to do so because I don't want those eleven creative people not sure about sure, me. Yeah. You know, there's nothing worse than... Well, proof's in the pudding. I mean, you're extraordinary in this. And that, that's what well, I, I found watching you, you, the way you work. It was a, it was a tough process. You know, I had just had a, the baby mm-hmm. and uh, trying to figure out what was right and what was appropriate for the production. Um, it was creatively extremely challenging, mm. um, which is always great because I feel like I've learned so much on the production. But also, too, you, you mean, you, you've come with incredible credentials. I mean, two, you know, two Tony Awards and... And does, did, I wear them as earrings. Do you? Do you think yeah. That gets in the well, way? Do they spin around? They, they little do. spin around, yeah. Uh, I don't have a Tony. I don't. <laughs> uh, there's a, an ad you in Australia. Which twin, is, which twin has the Tony? <laughs> 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 but did, does that, when, when, you, when you are auditioning, do you feel that, that, that bubble of strength, that, that, that you know, shield? I'll tell you something. I don't always audition. I do get a lot of offers, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. Of course you But for, for, for things that... Um, that I think that I can do, that people aren't sure that I can do. I want to make sure that they feel sure. Right. I'm sure, so I want you to be sure too. So let me come in, let's meet, and I'll read for you. Mm-hmm. I have no problem auditioning ever. Mm-hmm. Um, don't tell my agent, Gary Gersh, that, because he, <laughs> <laughs> he'd rather just get straight offers for everything. <laughs> but uh, it is, it's, it's always a chance to work on a role and feel like you've, Performed a role, and whether you get it or not, mm-hmm. you feel like I feel you, like a real sense of accomplishment. Of it at least, yeah. Yes. Is there a role that you still want to do? You know, everyone asks me that, and I love sort of going with the flow of life mm-hmm. and new creative people that come in and out, and ideas that come in and out, and things that have already been brewing in other people's creative consciousness, mm-hmm. and then meeting me in the fork in the road and going, yeah. "Do we want to do this together or not?" Like I like living life as like let's see what's going to happen next yeah. i like to be surprised the things that i did plan um i was going to do born yesterday with jerry gutierrez mm-hmm. a while back which is a role that i always wanted to do but you just saw nina arianda do it and she is extraordinary and that was her role you know it's sort of like i was 10 years before but then she came along and she's all of a sudden this bona fide um great broadway star, Mm -hmm. which is unheard of, really. Usually people, there's uh, very few actors in New York that are just known as Broadway stars, and Mm -hmm. she's one of them, and I'm so happy that she was able to do that role, and I saw her in it, and she was fantastic, and um, so I think things always kind of fall into place the way they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. I will say that the Tony, Tony, my first Tony Award, I knew, I thought to myself, well, now that I've won this, I know that I will always be able to get a job. It might be <laughs> Medea right? or Hedda Gabler and this in is Poughkeepsie. This a, right, this was for Noises Off. But right? I will always, yeah. yes, I will always, somebody will always want to hire me. You know, the Three well, Rivers Stadium performs Hedda Gabler. I will <laughs> always be able to get a job. And is that her. the case or is it sometimes like the Oscars where you have someone like, you know, Whoopi Goldberg who got the... Got the Oscar and then ha- had trouble a number of years later you getting. Know, I don't roles. think it's the same as movies. I no. think that once you're in, you know, once you're a theater sort of staple, I think there's always, and you're um, fun to work with or mm. a good person to mm. work with. I think someone's always going to hire you, like mm. I, whether it's you know, in a farm in Virginia, like I'll be able to perform some role somewhere for the rest of my life. But at the end of the totally day, we don't. I mean, I I speak for you, I'm sure, but I don't do it for uh, awards. I, I, oh, I, I do it only for awards. I'm not an award person. I like to home. collect them. I like to shine you, them. I you? like my children to play yeah. with them. 
just waiting for all the I had a other. lot of awards when I first did Phantom. <laughs> we had things called Mo Awards. Mo's? Mo Awards were a very strange award. Um, Mo Macaki is a character, <laughs> is a character <laughs> that, that was created by a very... Mo Macaki. Uh, he, he talked like that, you see. He was an Australian. <laughs> and although he sounded like a cockney. <laughs> and he developed an and, award? No, his name was Roy Reen, and he was a vaudeville oh. star of the 20s in, okay. in Australia and, and was one of the first big comedians to, hit, to hit the screen as his character was Mo Macaki. And he was partly clown, uh, but, but... Part uh, clown, sort of part a, alligator. Absolutely. And so he would say, for instance, I tried to milk the cow, but I couldn't get the silly thing to sit on the bucket. You know, he was that kind of that kind of comedy. Right. And so this, he, he was the big, he was the Bob Hope of the twenties. So there was uh, this award, which was known as the the Mo Award. And when Phantom happened, um, there was a lot of political hoo ha, and they pushed they pushed the the, the uh, show into the award season so that the show would get the award and. I would get the award, and so I had many of these things arriving and and going through the airport, of course, with these things going off in in the um, security. Well, it area. comes in the airport. It comes. No, well, I had to take it back to Sydney with me. You see, I got yeah, to escort it back mm-hmm. in the limousine. I had to go through. Not, it's about I don't know, twelve <laughs> inches high. But I'm, I've never really after that. I thought, you know, it's it's not about awards for me. It's about doing good work, and it's about working mm. and enjoying the work. Mm. And I think that if you do supply your um, your soul to the passion that you have, then you are award-worthy regardless of whether you get it or not. You know, you just never know what's going to hit. You, you just don't know. We're so lucky that everybody wants to see Annie again. We're mm. so lucky that there's a whole generation of women my age that worshipped the album when they were kids, mm-hmm. and now they want to take their children to see it. Um, you know... Who knows if people were kind of tired of it and didn't come. It's it's all kind of magical the way things. With, with that in mind, and the fact that Dorothy Loudon was the creator of the mm. role, did you did you make a conscious effort with James to either not go down a path there or to go down a path, and and have it you know dog leg at some point through the the performance? You know, it's funny. Um, I'm not sure what you mean by dog leg. Well, to go to left field. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm. I um. I was very, when I went in for that um, meeting with the whole creative team, mm. I was very specific about what I thought I could bring to the table that right. was different, how I could make it. Obviously, I'm I'm not, although Dorothy was only 46 or 40, 46, she I wasn't, think. She, she wasn't old at she all. She was 46. Mm. Um, but I always wanted to play the role as if I were um, like a narcissist and a, a burlesque dancer who well, was just done. a terrible dancer <laughs> or a woman who wanted to become a movie star but was in her early 40s and just you know this was the best that she could do this mm-hmm. was the best job she could get and a, quite a relief from what she was finding on the street right. so she's lucky to have a roof overhead to have the money uh, coming in and the food coming in and a job and the depression she's mm-hmm. lucky yeah, she is. but she's got one foot out the door she is ready to be discovered. She's ready to to go off with the fruit cart man. She's ready to go off with the the the, man, the dairy man. She's ready to find. She still believes that someone is going to to whisk her away. Dateless and desperate. That's right. Basically. So that's how I play. Is I've got one foot out the door. Yeah. Uh, whether it works or not is up to do you. Do you enjoy her? <laughs> do you enjoy? I do very putting much. Putting her on every night. Very much. I feel um feel sad that she doesn't get what she wants. I want her to get what she wants. Mm. Yeah, she is a, she she's a sad character really when you think yeah. about all that yeah I want her to I want her to to be what she wants to be mm. Mm. 
that you, I guess you shouldn't feel sad for your for your own characters, but <laughs> I do. No, I but it, that, 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 that tells you life. something about how you perform that yeah, role. Pick the wrong men, real. pick the, you know, yeah. drinks too much, pick the wrong men, and just found herself like an aging flapper, mm. partied and had a great <laughs> time, and all of a sudden, I'm 40, and I have no job, and it's the depression, and what am I going to do? To do. Yeah. I met this guy, he's got an inn at this orphanage. All right, fine. I'll fine. Yeah. I grew up with 12 brothers and sisters. I hate kids. <laughs> but I do need to eat. Yeah. And what does the character think? <laughs> <laughs> so, have you said that in work? Hogg had always said, speak from eyes. Speak, speak, <laughs> say eyes, eyes. So Is that you falling on the floor? My, it was me falling on the floor. <laughs> mm. We're both taking a pause. Right so, <laughs> now that's all right. And, and, and you know, the, there's the old adage, working with kids and dogs, of course, and, and you work with both of them. Well, well, I have one moment with a dog. You don't have any moment with a dog, I don't think, It's do funny. You? you know, I was, I was hearing the cast talk about these funny stories about James Lapine mm-hmm. and these very forthcoming, you know, adult stories, um, great stories, but obviously not for kids. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I missed that story. Oh, I missed that story. Yeah. Wait, where... Wait, where was I? And I thought, oh, I'm with a bunch of kids. I don't hear him talking about of course, telling those of funny course. stories. But he does. He did love the children. He loved those children. And he does love love children. He loves children, and he was extraordinary with them. We'd have mm. a little like social social um, circle before every rehearsal, and he'd be like, "So what'd you do last night?" And and I said this before, but my favorite thing about the kids is that. They would have these non sequiturs that were ridiculous. Like we'd be talking about the show or getting notes from the show, and one of them would raise their hand and say, "You know, my dressing room smells like cookies and feet." <laughs> they all share a dressing room, and they'd fight over you know certain projects that they were writing. They'd write shows together, and they um, write songs together, and have different businesses together. They're extraordinarily See, that, cool. that, that, and James and, supported them, and it is two worlds. I mean, in this, even in the rehearsal process, it was two worlds. And so you had that world with the children. Yes, I was. I had and no I had the world part of the adult adults. world. That's right. I had no part of that world. Mm. And so it was really like two different shows for me. I had then there was the tapping. <laughs> there was the tapping. That was a frightening that moment. That brought us all together. OMG. <laughs> now, OMG. <laughs> tell us, Anthony. <laughs> well, I found where out. Where does OMG I hope, originate? I hope this is correct. Please tell because us. Because I, I, someone said, oh, it's not. it's been around for years. And I said, oh, I thought it was something like, you know, LOL. OMG. My OMG. friend Andrea Burns has a song on her album called OMG. Is that right? Written by um, Lin Manuel. Is that right? Yes. Right. Number. Who's Lin Manuel? Sorry. Um, uh, uh, You've gone off on that dog height. leg. I'm You've sorry, dog legged again. I dog but, legged. I'm but, sorry. But for our for our listeners out there, I just wanted to say that, that I think, from what I understand, that that actually came from Winston Churchill, who abbreviated this when he was writing a letter to somebody uh, with this OMG. Which I guess we've won. Can you just imagine <laughs> Churchill being like, oh, OMG. Oh my God. We shall fight them on the beaches. <laughs> OMG. <laughs> Totes amaze. <laughs> <laughs> so there you are. Um, do you like performing in America? Yeah, I do. It's a very, it's a very different. I have you to know, say. everyone waits for you outside the theater after the show. I you know, know that, right? Yeah. I don't make you feel guilty. No, don't, no, don't, don't make me feel guilty. Uh, but um, I, they all ask me, "Where's Daddy Warbucks?" And you know what? And it's kind of a good thing because you know it's the, like the He's myth, elusive. He's the mysterious. myth is more powerful than the fact sometimes. This is true. No, this mm. is I believe. I found this. that in Australia, and you have times. to save your voice, and well, I have to scream when I'm singing. Yes, so. and you can do that, which is an amazing thing. And 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 I I can't. Uh, but having said that, I sound like Betty Davis, who said, "I can't laugh on cue." <laughs> I can't. But Celeste Holmes could, and she didn't like awesome. that at all. 
I'm just a kazoo with a sparkler. <laughs> you know my dresser, Barry Hoff. Ah, yes. He was uh, Celeste Holmes' assistant for 15 years. Is that right? So every time I have a question about how to behave in Judy Garland's dressing room, I say, <laughs> what would Celeste do? Well, the way I work in George Hearn's dressing room... Tell me. ...is to talk a lot like this, Annie. <laughs> <you know? laughs> <laughs> I think I think when I but leave the show, Arnold Sweeney Todd done there. What was done oh, in yeah. the palace? Oh no, no, no. Sweeney? I don't no, what know, did George do? Oh, I think they did. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, <gasps> it could have been Lacage. Oh, of course, Lacage. I am, but I am. I love Mr. I, yeah. I love him. Yeah, he's great. He was a, I, he was one of my idols when I was growing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what about the? I mean, the ghosts in that theatre is love it. Love that theatre so I love much. It. The I elevators are the. Now, did you know about the elevator? I didn't know about this. Tell us about the, the elevator. The elevator was made, was built for Sarah Bernhardt, who had a wooden leg she and couldn't negotiate the stairs. Right. There you are. I don't know what you probably Follies vaudeville days, but but uh, it was built for her. Apparently, that's the story, and I. It's kind of nice, so I'll believe it. Wow. Well, mm. thank you for letting me have the fancy dressing room. It's quite extraordinary. And uh, I'll tell you an interesting story very quickly before we finish. The Tony Sheldon, of course, who played the drag queen in Priscilla, when I was about to come to New York, they said, oh, you'll end up probably having Tony's room because it's, you know, it's the lead man's room. And I said, oh, great. Then I found out that you were downstairs. And then I discovered, well, of course it was, that's the female lead room and he was playing a drag queen. <laughs> so I've got the male re- lead room upstairs and you're down there. Well, my kids, thank you, because we, we, we play there every I know, I can hear it. Day. They're wonderful. I know, screaming and running around. And mm. I say, this is where Judy Garland and Liza Minnelli were. Mm. Golly, what a, what a legacy. Yeah. And we're all part of that. Yes. But we're part of it now. We can, we we can honestly say it. We're part of the Annie legacy. Katie Finnerham, you have been Hello. delightful. You have too. I, I just, well, we are together. Shall and we this go is have dinner together? Why don't we? We should. And we should do this before the end of the year because <laughs> I won't see you again after this. <laughs> we, always, we always feel like Hannigan and, and um, Daddy Warbuck should run off together because well, Anthony and I never really get to see each other. Or maybe there's a prequel. Oh. Maybe we had a tiff and this yes. is what happened. Maybe Annie really is our child. Mm, maybe she is. The sun will come on tomorrow. But and daughter that tomorrow. There'll be sun. Love you. Love you too, honey. Hello, I'm Heather Hitchens, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. I hope you enjoyed today's edition of Downstage Center. Downstage Center is recorded in the CUNY TV radio studio at the City University of New York's Graduate School of Journalism in Manhattan. Our engineer for today's show is Chad Bernhard. Along with this program, all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online, on demand, for free at americantheaterwing.org. If you're a regular listener to or viewer of Wing programs, we hope you'll consider giving us financial support to sustain our work. Just visit our website, americantheaterwing.org, and click Support ATW. For Downstage Center and the American Theatre Wing, thanks for your support and thanks for listening.